Welcome to Equipus Christchurch. Equipus Church is a whole lot of friends championing one another to go higher in Christ. For more details, check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch. So great to have you here. A very warm welcome online. Like I said, we know that there is quite a few of you online today. We're so sorry you can't be in the room with us today, but we're glad you can join us virtually. It's great to see you as well. I'm operating in faith, expecting that they're looking beautiful, right? Thank you so much, Josh. Maybe a different beautiful in your pajamas is beautiful uh, as well, right? Anyone in their pajamas today in the room? No, that's probably a good choice. Yeah, again, you're welcome as you are, but pajamas, it would be cold. Yeah, it's a cold day to exit your house in your pajamas today. Yeah, anyone else finding it a little bit chilly? You're like, no, you weak, weak North Islander. That's all right. I'm getting used to it. Slowly, I'm losing all sensation uh, in my feet and hands. I'm assuming that's how everyone else tolerates the cold in the South Island. You just kill off your nerves. You're like, no, I don't feel it anymore. A little bit gangrenous, but it's all good, yeah? It's nice. Uh, today, today, like uh, Penny said, is, is Miracle Sunday. It's our Sunday where we talk about our, our miracle offering. Uh, and and for, for some of you in the room, you're like, I don't know what that means, but those are both fairly Christian words, miracle and offering. So I'm assuming it's a, a super Christian Sunday. Uh, for some of you, you've been with us for a while. You're like, yeah, I know this rhythm. I know what this is. Some of you will be uh, somewhere in, in between both of those. And, and so really what I wanted to do today and, and kind of what we've been doing quite intentionally over the last couple of months is talking about some of the things that we do, some, some of the things that we do and the ways in which we do them, and just uh, taking the moment to, to kind of remind ourselves of the, the why behind the what, yeah, that we don't kind of continue doing what we've been doing uh, because that's the way that we've always done it. Has anyone ever kind of had that experience in life? You continue doing things just a certain way because that's the way that things have always just been, yeah? I don't know if I've, I've shared this story before. It just came to mind here, so it's not on notes. That's sometimes a great thing, sometimes a bad thing. But has anyone ever heard the, the illustration of the, the old family roast recipe, yeah? It, it kind of goes that there's, there's like an old family roast recipe, as, as the, you know, the names usually gives it away a bit, where, where the, the family would take like a roast, a leg of lamb or something, and they would cut it in half, put it in the, the roasting dish and surround it with vegetables and, and put it in the oven and, and roast away and they'd, they'd be off to it, right? And, and, and for generations and generations, this has been how they'd, they'd cooked a roast until one day someone's like, why do, we cut the, why do we cut the leg of lamb in half? Right, like, why do, we, why do we cut it in half to put it in the roasting dish? Why don't we just put it in the, the roasting dish? No, we don't. It's just the way that we've always done it. And so someone kind of does a bit of, bit of, you know, investigating and looks back and looks back, and they find out that maybe like three generations back, a great-great-grandmother just had a really, really small oven. And so a, a normal-sized roasting dish didn't fit in the oven, and so to fit the roast in the oven, she cut the leg of lamb in half to kind of put it next to each other in the roasting dish so that it could fit in the oven. And that's why she did it. And then when she was teaching the next generation how to, how to cook a roast, it's, oh, well, we cut it in half to fit it in the oven. And then they didn't realize that it was cutting in half to fit in the oven. They just thought that you cut it in half because that's what you did. And so three generations later, you've got people with really big ovens who are still cutting their leg of lamb in half because that's just the way that we did it. Yeah? We want to avoid cutting things in half unnecessarily in our faith, that, that what we do, we do intentionally, that if there's a reason to cut it in half, we cut it in half, but if we, if we can keep it whole, then, then let's keep it whole. And so today I want to talk about our, our miracle offering in which, to, to kind of surmise the whole thing, I would say miracle offering for us is an intentional practice of generosity. 
Yeah, the, the idea behind what we're doing today, something like a miracle offering, is that it's different to our regular practices of, of tithing and of giving in that way. And if you've got questions about that, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to talk them through. But, but to boil it down to a sentence, tithing, we believe, is a biblical practice that we use as, sorry, a biblical principle that we use as a practice in following Jesus, that, that it's an act of, of trust. And we want to be very clear that, that you don't need to tithe, you don't have to tithe, to, to, you don't have to give in any way to be a part of this community. Yeah, that, that your tithing is not, you know, predicated on, oh, well, you're not a member of who we are, you're not welcome in this gathering if, if you're not tithing, that's not the way it works. Just like we say that you don't have to Sabbath, that you don't have to pray, that you don't have to serve, that you don't have to read your Bible, you don't have to do any of these things. We happen to think that all of these things are good for us. We happen to think that all of these practices help us to follow Jesus well. And so as a community of faith, we actually think it's really important that we, we talk about them. Yeah, and that we talk about the why behind how we do them so that they don't just become habits without intentionality. And so today what I'd really like to do is I want to talk a little bit about a, a biblical view of generosity. Yeah, if I said that today, we're talking about intentionally being generous. Why do we have a rhythm like today? Why, why kind of have a day in which we, we take a moment in our calendar of the year to say, hey, we're reflecting on, on what we do and the way that we do it. And I want to say um, up at the front that a lot of what I'm about to say has been informed and, and supported by the work of Tim Mackey and the Bible Project. Usually I don't kind of cite my sources at the very start of a sermon, but most of the sermon is from there. And so I, I think it's important to, to do that. And they have some great stuff on this, some real kind of deep dives, and I'd be happy to uh, to point you to some resources if you're looking for some after the service. But before I jump into it, I want to make sure that, uh, that we're all on the same page. Is it all right? Yeah, again, usually we don't usually start sermons with housekeeping, but um, there's, I think topics like generosity can be contentious for people. Yeah, can, can be, you know, people have a lot of different experiences with giving and the way that church uh, talks about giving. Yeah, and so I want to be very, very clear. Today is not about shaking anyone down. Yeah, today is not about getting anyone to do anything. It's an invitation. And, and we would put at kind of the banner of everything that we do in, in this sort of topic, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, in which Paul says, we only ever want people to give what you have decided in your hearts to give, right? Not reluctantly or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver. We don't want everyone to give because they feel like that's what they have to do because then you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason and you're missing the blessing behind it. I also want to say as, as an important aside, today if you're here and you're in, in, in bad debt, and, and by bad debt I don't mean like a, a student loan or a mortgage, I mean you're, you're living in like a, a predatory loan sort of situation, you're under some toxic debt, we don't want you to give from a place of debt. Again, we're never going to tell you what you can and cannot do, but we don't want you to go out and like take a loan from a loan shark to be like, oh, I really need to give in the miracle offering, and so I'm going to do this to be able to give there. We're saying, hey, let's, instead, what we would love to do is we'd love to come alongside you and support you out of that, that situation, yeah? But uh, part of what we, we love to do here and what we're uh, continue, continuing to do, really, what we're using previous miracle offerings uh, to support us in doing is setting up a, a CAP, Christians Against Poverty Debt Center, and what they do is, is they help people who are in those sorts of financial situations to find a way through, to find a way to consolidate debt, to pay down debt, to, to figure out a, a budget through it. Yeah? And so we don't want to be doing that for, for other people in the community when there are people in our community who also need it. We do still want to be doing it for others, but, 
but not, you know, ignoring those who are with us. And so if this is a situation for you and, and, and you would like some support in that area, then, then please come and talk to a leader or, or, or ask at the help desk or even, you know, message us on, on socials if that's easier. And we just love to come alongside you and help you through this, yeah? That you could get to a place where you can be generous, that you're not living under debt. Is that all right? So that's kind of the, the housekeeping. Please, we're not trying to compel anyone. We're not trying to say, hey, let's go out and, and, and take a, a, you know, a predatory loan to give. We're also saying it's between you and God, and however you give is, is up to you. Yeah? Awesome. Hey, let's pray, and then we'll get into it. God, we thank you uh, so much for, for this time together. God, we thank you that, that it is, um, it's such an honor to get to talk about giving to get to talk about generosity. We thank you that you are a generous God, that, that you are defined by your giving, not just what we need to, to you know, live and breathe, but, but in giving your very self and coming in the person of Jesus to die for us on the cross. God, I pray today as we reflect on giving in the midst of, of all of the things that might surround that, God, I pray that your spirit would, would be in our midst, God, that it wouldn't be my words or my ideas, but that you would speak to our hearts, that we'd, we would leave here uh, yeah, knowing that, that you came close to us, that we chose to draw close to you, to hear what you were saying, to be encouraged, to be built up, to be pushed forward into what you have for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. If, if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn with me to, to the book of, of Acts, right? And, and Acts kind of, it's like the, the story of the origin of the early church. Anyone love a good origin story? Yeah, we've got, we've got plenty of them out there at the moment. Every second Marvel movie is like an origin or a, a re-origin or an origin of a side character or a semi-origin. This is the origin of, of the early church. Yeah, we have kind of the Gospels, which talks about the life and ministry of Jesus. Then Jesus dies, raises, uh, raises from the dead. I mean, you could say it like that. It's a bit clunky, right? It comes, comes back uh, and, and then ascends. And then you've got th- these followers left being like, well, I guess now we do what Jesus told us to do. Like he was saying that this was going to happen. Now it's happened. Now what do we, what do, we do? And, and Equippers Church exists within a, a wider movement here in New Zealand. Uh, Equippers is kind of a, a, a family that we choose to belong to. Uh, and, and then that sits within the ex-churches of New Zealand as the actual kind of legal governance movement that we belong to. And we're called Acts Churches of New Zealand because our intention is to be like the church in Acts. Yeah, we're kind of, we're shooting for the stars. We're like, hey, if there's something to aim for, if there's some sort of expression of church to be like, we think that's probably a good one to, to go after. Uh, and a few weeks ago, Penny spoke uh, on, on Pentecost Sunday from Acts chapter 2, in which the, the followers of Jesus are waiting on the promise of Jesus in the upper room. Yeah, and, and you'll probably remember, Penny spoke to it really well, that they're waiting and they're praying for, for 10 days and then the Holy Spirit comes and a community is born in this moment. Yeah, 3,000 people come to faith in one day. And then Luke, who's the, the author of Acts, he goes on after kind of saying, hey, this is what happened. And he starts to describe the community that's established. And that's where I want to I pick up today. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 42 to 47. This is immediately after Pentecost. This is Luke speaking to, and this is the, the community that arises from this encounter with the Holy Spirit and the pursuit of following Jesus together. It says this, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. 
They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's big gatherings like this. And then they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. We would consider that something like smaller gatherings, something like an e-group. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So, so here we have it, the, the early church is formed, it kind of comes into being, and the early church does four key things. Did you see that? At the very start of this passage, they talk about four things that the early church devoted themselves to. The, the first one is the apostles' teachings. Yeah, what, what is that? Well, church is primarily, if we strip it back, the, the main thing that church is, is church is a place of transformation. Yeah, that's what we're about when we come together. And a big part of that is the question, what if the good news of the gospel is true? You're like, what, what, do, we, what do we do with that? What, what does the truth of who Jesus is and, and what he does mean for us in relation to, to our work? What does it mean for us in relation to our, our relationships, our resources, our family, our society, our, our passion? And, and, and so that's what the apostles they did. They, they taught, hey, this is what Jesus said. And this is how we think we can apply this. This is what Jesus led us in. And, and the reality of, of what it means to be a, a follower, living life as a follower of Jesus. And so this community was known first and foremost as a community that gathered together to learn a whole new way of life, a whole new way of thinking, and a whole new way of behaving under this teaching passed on by the apostles from Jesus. And then the, the next thing they did is the breaking of bread, right? This refers to, to communion but also just general, general meals together, just being together in community, living in community, both in the temple courts and big gatherings like this, but also in, in houses and smaller communities within the communities where people could be known intimately. And then to prayer. And, and prayer isn't just how we think of, of praying, right? It's not just kind of talking to God or a prayer meeting or interceding or something like that. Prayer really encapsulates prayer and worship. Prayer here refers to anything that's about our response to the reality that God has come to us, revealed himself, and established a relationship with us. You might be thinking, Johnny, you missed one, right? There was the apostles' teachings, and then there was fellowship. I saved fellowship for last because this is really what I want to, to hone in on today. They devoted themselves to, to fellowship. Fellowship's a great Christian word, isn't it? Yeah? Let's just for a moment just kind of cast your, your mind back over the last week or month. Have you used fellowship at all within the last month? Yeah? You don't need to do a show of hands. It's not like a, a holiness test, but just wonder, like, yeah, maybe I have. I bet you if you have, that you probably haven't used it outside of a Christian context. Yeah? You're not like with your workmates and you're like, hey, what are you doing for lunch today? They're like, oh, nothing. I forgot to bring my lunch. Like, oh, do you want to go grab lunch together? It'd be great to have some fellowship together. Yeah, it's probably not like a, a standard word that you throw around uh, in, in the workplace. And, and we use it in church quite a bit. We're like, oh, great to have fellowship. You know, let's fellowship together. And, and in church, when we use it, basically what we mean is it's like a holy hangout. Yeah. It's like we hang out like other people hang out, but we're Christians. And so it's holy. Yeah. It's like a sanctified hanging out. It's like normal hanging out, but we don't swear uh, and we don't drink. Or if we do, we feel suitably guilty about it. Uh, or we excuse it under, I'm just not being legalistic, right? But either way, it's still very holy. It's, it's a holy way that we do things, yeah? 
And so we're like, that's fellowship. It's a, it's a holy hangout. And I tease, but, but that is beautiful. Like hanging out with, with other people of faith, living in community with a people of faith is, is a beautiful thing to do. It's really important, but that's not what the original word in the Greek really meant. It's not just simply a, a holy hangout. It's a much bigger word than that. The word in the Greek, I know you'd, you'd be feeling like you missed out today if you didn't get at least one Greek word, uh, is this word koinonia. Yeah, that's it in the Greek up the top. Uh, fair enough, if you, can't, if you can't read that, I can't actually either. I just know that that's the Greek word because I looked up my interlinear. But uh, this, this is the word. And this Greek word, like I said, it's about much more than just hanging out. Luke basically describes what it means in, in verse 44. He says, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. That word there, common, everything in common, is a form of this word, koinonia. And then he expands on the particularity of having everything in common in verse 45. He says, they sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. Right, so, so Luke here is saying that they devoted themselves to fellowship, and that fellowship wasn't just holy hangouts, but it was intentional generosity within community. Now, now, Luke actually pauses at least half a dozen places in the book of Acts as he's telling us the story of the establishment of the early church to describe what it's like. He kind of pauses and he's like, this this is what the church looked like. This is what was happening and this is what the church looked like. And and the next moment that he does this in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 4 and it's a few months later and it's about the same community of people gathering in the temple courts and house to house in, in Jerusalem who were devoted to teaching, to fellowship, to community and to worship. Are you with me? Yeah, Acts chapter 4 says this, for 32 to 35, all the believers were one in heart and mind. Now, now just pause there for a second, yeah? Just think about this. How, how, many, how many were in this new community of faith, like a couple of months on from Pentecost? It's not a trick question. At, at least 3,000, we're thinking, yeah? 3,000 were added to the church on Pentecost, so there's probably at least 3,000 people. People were being added to their numbers daily, so there's probably even more than that. And then take a step even further back from that and think, all right, so there's at least 3,000 people living in this community. How did they come to be in this community? Well, if we remember Pentecost, Pentecost, a whole bunch of Jewish people come into the city of Jerusalem because of a feast, yeah? And they're coming in to celebrate this feast in Jerusalem from all over kind of the known world at the time. And so they're coming from different countries, from different cultures. One of the things that happens at Pentecost is that the disciples start speaking in different languages. Yeah, because there's people there who they don't understand each other. They speak different languages. So I think it's fair to say that this community of people that has been kind of spontaneously formed is made up of very different people. Very different people with very different preferences, with very different ways of being. They're all Jewish, but from different places and cultures, speaking different languages. And then while they're in Jerusalem, their, their, their worlds are turned upside down as the Holy Spirit is poured out and Peter shares the gospel, and so they decide to stay. Like, this is too amazing to just go back home. My life cannot continue as it was after this encounter with God. I need to stay here and, and, and start to understand what is happening. What does God want me to do? And so I think it's interesting that Luke here describes this diverse community of faith, this new community of faith from around the known world as one in heart and mind. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but everyone shared everything they had. Again, shared there is this word koinonia. This act of sharing of of generosity seems to be directly linked to this unity of the community. Let, Let me put it this way. They weren't united because they shared they shared because they were united. See, koinonia is about much more than just sharing stuff. 
Yeah, it's about much more than just kind of pooling resources and, and making it work. It's, it's more than just kind of moving out to a quipper's land and living on a commune, although the idea is still up in the air. You know, we'll see what happens. It's a joke, please, right? Uh, but, but koinonia is about much more than just sharing stuff. It's a deeper realization that leads to sharing, that leads to living in community. That says, wait, I'm not just me. I belong to a deeper, to a, a wider community. If we keep on reading in Acts chapter 4, it says this, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, which is good because that's exactly what Jesus told them to do. Yeah, I just kind of wanted to point that out. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you will be my witness. What does a witness do? testify yeah again no trick questions and it continues and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them from time to time those who owned land or houses sold them bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need I mean speaking for about I don't know 15-20 minutes yeah I want to pause here and, and I think it's important to be honest in church, yeah? Anyone, like, afraid of thunderbolts? So we'll, we'll go with honesty in church. We've got a nice roof, so that protects us from divine retribution. But you have to go outside at some stage. So I want to get right with God before we go out and avoid a, you know, that's not correct theology. Uh, but I think it's important to, to be honest, yeah? When we read passages like this, there's probably not many of us who are like, yeah, that, that sounds easy. It sounds good, yeah? If, if there are people in the room who are like, yeah, that sounds easy, that sounds good, chances are you're in a moment in your life in which you're like, I mean, I don't have anything to share, but I love the idea of other people sharing with me. Yeah, that sounds great. If, you want, if people want to share with me, I'm, I'm in need, that sounds awesome, yeah? This kind of idea of living in this community, and that's it, it, a lot of sharing. And, and, and I think sometimes sharing can be hard. Like, John, are you saying that I have to share? Are you saying I have to go and, are you saying I have to sell my house? And, and put, are, you, are you putting yourself as the apostle? And this is sounding a little bit like, you said this wasn't a shakedown, feeling a little bit shaken down. Right? Like what, what is going on in here? And I, I think it's important to pause and, and see that feeling, acknowledge that feeling, and ask, what is this feeling? Why am I feeling this? Why am I feeling this way? Don't, don't judge it right now. Don't be like, oh, this is a bad feeling. I'm a bad Christian, right? I'm gonna, I need to go out and, and work on myself. Don't justify the feeling. Yeah, this is a good feeling. Church is just after my money. Just be like, this is a feeling. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm thinking. And I think it's important to, to see that, first of all, there is a willingness here. Yeah, this is, again, this isn't about rules or compulsion. Nowhere does it say, and those who did not sell their houses and stuff were kicked out of the community. Yeah, that those who were not generous with their things were not welcome, or those who gave lots more were important than anyone else in the community, that, that they were the influential and important people in the community, and if you gave lots, you got a seat of power. In fact, there's a story in the next chapter in which there's kind of a thing that happens a little bit like that, and it doesn't end super well for the people who are giving for a little bit of influence, right, if you, if you know your Bibles. We won't get into that story today, because that one's too hard. But, uh, but something is happening in this community. Something is happening in this community that time to time, people seem to feel to sell their land or their houses and to put that money together to meet the needs within the community. And that a part of this fellowship, this koinonia, is unity and generosity. And it's, it's important to realize that Luke thinks this is amazing. Yeah, as he's writing the book of Acts, he's like, this is incredible. This is not how people live. This is not what people do. That's why he's calling it out. That's why he's telling us about it. If it was just a normal way of being, they probably wouldn't have recorded it, right? He doesn't also say, and they stopped in the morning, and they ate breakfast, and they ate lunch, and they ate dinner, and everyone went to the toilet around about at least once a day. Some were more regular, depending on how much fiber people had. Like, he doesn't describe the regular, everyday details of life. He's describing something that is different, that is extraordinary. 
And it feels like Luke here, he puts his finger on what's going on. He says, this happened because verse 33, God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. This community of people are behaving in this different, unified, sharing, generous way because God's grace is powerfully at work in them all. We could say it like this, koinonia, I'm pointing because that word's going to appear here, because of grace. Right, that this way of being in community, this koinonia, this fellowship, this intentional sharing and generosity because of grace. And again, grace is another one of those, those great Christian words, isn't it? Like maybe you probably don't say grace that often outside of, of a, a Christian context. And, and you know, if you stop for a second, you go, man, what is grace? If, if you ask my kids what is grace, they would say it's something that we say before we eat a meal. Most of the time, sometimes we forget and we get reminded halfway through, right? And my credentials are pending as a result. But it's all right. We're working through it, right? We're all failed and fallen humans. And sometimes we remember halfway through. And sometimes we say it with Superman actions as per the gospel according to Clark Kent, yeah? Anyone know the Superman grace? It's a good time. It's a good time. We can teach it to you afterwards, equipping you for life through faith in Jesus Christ and Superman graces. And hopefully if you ask them, you know, probably not now, but in a few years' time, why do we say grace when we eat? Then, then they'd say something like, we're taking a moment to thank God. We're taking a moment to thank God for our food, sure, but, but also a wider thanks, not just for the food immediately in front of us, but for His grace. His grace that means that we are here able to eat this food. This grace that means that we're in this relationship with each other and with Him. And, and which is why we call it grace. That's why we call grace, grace. Because at its heart, we're thanking God for grace, which I'll acknowledge in terms of like a branding exercise is a little bit confusing, yeah? Because we're saying grace, thanking God for His grace, and it can feel like it's our grace, and, but that's, you know, if we work it through, we get to the place of we are thanking God for the food, but we're also being mindful of the fact that He is a gracious God. You know, grace is one of the most important ideas at the center of our faith. That, that God's response to humanity when we choose to reject him and to, to try and be our own gods and in doing so hurting each other and, and the good world that God has made is not to give us over to the evil that we've created, not to leave us to our own devices, not to abandon us in our sin and our shame and our evil, but to choose to come to us, to take the evil, the sin that we have made and to remove it from us that we could be restored to wholeness and goodness. That is Grace. Right, a gift given, wholly undeserved, but given nonetheless. And, and so Luke takes this idea and he says they did this because of God's grace, but he uses it a little bit differently, doesn't he? When he says here God's grace was powerfully at work within them, it seems like he's not just saying that they all felt forgiven because of Jesus. They definitely did, but, but something else is happening. Something that's kind of like that moment where we say grace before we eat a meal. Tim Mackey puts it this way. He says, this grace became a power in their lives that generated behaviors to such an extent that these behaviors themselves started to be known as grace. Again, I get it's kind of this convoluted thing, but, but the way in which they behaved because of the grace that they had received was so closely, so tightly associated with the grace that they had received that those behaviors themselves started to be known as grace. You might be thinking, Jonah, this is all interesting stuff, but what does this have to do with, do with us here today? What does that have to do with this miracle offering? I, I want to finish by telling you one last story. Right, about 15 to 20 years go by, and, and the church grows from Jerusalem out throughout the Roman world. 
And, and a key player in this expansion of the church is, is this guy named Paul. You, you might have heard of him, right? He's got some, some letters to the churches that make up a significant chunk of the New Testament. And in the midst of all of this that's happening as the church is expanding, Jerusalem, where this all started, is hit by a disaster, by drought and by famine. And so the church, the community there is really suffering. People are, are starving. It's, it's horrible. And they're in this moment of, of just poverty and, and not really anything that they can do in and of themselves. And so Paul has this, this idea. He says, man, what if I make a trip around all of the other churches that have been established in the known world, in the, in, the Roman, in the Roman world? What if we go around all of these other churches which were ultimately planted because of this church in Jerusalem and we rally help for the churches in Jerusalem? What, what if we practice koinonia, this unity and sharing, this fellowship, not just within the community that we're in locally with the people that we see every day, but, but as a wider church in the communities that we exist in? And in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 to 7, he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says something really interesting about this idea of koinonia and grace. He says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. Now, without knowing where this is going, and if you, if you do, then, then just pause here, right? Pretend that you don't. If, if I was to say to you, I have a great story to tell you about the grace that God has given to these people, what would you think the story is going to be about? Yeah, in this moment, you know, you might guess, oh, there's going to be a story about that, how they heard the good news about Jesus and, and became disciples of Jesus and accepted God's forgiveness for them. And, and this is an amazing moment, but that's not what Paul is talking about. Right? Let's, let's read on. In, in verse 2, it says, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Now, now, there's a whole story inside that sentence, right? We have this community of Christians in Macedonia, and we actually have some of Paul's letters to them in First and Second Thessalonians. And, and we know from these letters that this church is going, undergoing pretty severe persecution, that it's not an easy time to be the church in Macedonia. We don't have details to exactly the, the type of persecution, but, but we can judge based on, on the way that other persecutions are described in, in Scripture that, that at the very least, it's members of the community being abused and kidnapped and arrested, and at the very worst, it's members of the community being killed. And we also know that they're impoverished, living, as, as Paul says, in extreme poverty, probably because, because of their faith, they're, they're being ostracized by their community. And so we have this, this group of Christians, these, these people of faith living in this community in, in both extreme poverty and, and under extreme persecution. And Paul describes them as have overflowing joy. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if I was a part of the community in, in which maybe I was beaten up for my faith, in which my, my family business was shut down because of my faith and my community excludes me because of my faith, I don't know if the, the default position that I would go to for describing how I'm feeling about life is overflowing joy. And we don't have time to fully explore this idea, but I think it's such a good reminder in this moment that joy is not the same as happiness. That something else is at work here. And so here we have these Christians under extreme persecution, in poverty, yet in their suffering, they seem to be joyful. And, and reading on, Paul knows about their situation, right? As, as, as we continue to read, I'll put it up there and you can see it behind me, but Paul knows about their situation. So he's not even planning on talking to them about the situation with the church in Jerusalem. He, he's like, they've got enough on their plate. They're, they're surviving on their own. Maybe the next thing that we do with Koinonia is gonna be supporting the Macedonian church. I'm not gonna ask them to do anything. But, but the church hears about what's going on, about what he's doing, and it says that they plead for the privilege of, of sharing. 
Again, you want to guess what that word is? Koinonia. They plead for the privilege of of generosity. They plead for the privilege of unity, of fellowship. And and Paul says that they give in such a way that Paul's like, I don't understand how you managed to do this. I don't understand how you managed to to come together in such a way. And in his attempt to describe what's going on, he uses the same word that Luke does in Acts. He says it's grace. He says God's grace happened to them. I think this is where it gets really interesting for us. You know, probably for most of us, we, we don't identify in our, our lived reality with the church in Macedonia or Jerusalem. We're not being beaten up for our faith. We're not, we're not wondering if we're going to get to the end of the week with enough money to, to pay for our, our accommodation or to put food on the table. We have what we need and maybe even more than enough. And here he turns to the church in, in Corinth, the Corinthian church. And the Corinthian church is in a very different situation from the church in Macedonia. They're well off. They're powerful, they're affluent, they're in a good position. And when Paul asked them about supporting the church in Jerusalem, they'd be like, yeah, we're all in, totally. That sounds like a great idea. And then they kind of just didn't get around to, to really getting to doing it. And, and so Paul writes to them and he shares the story to be like, hey, again, we read at the start in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, no one has to do anything. I'm not trying to compel you to do anything. I'm not trying to push you into doing anything. That when we give, we should do so joyously and and from a cheerful heart. God loves a cheerful giver. But I'm just reminding you that that you had the intention to be a part of something special that we were doing. And I don't want you to miss out. And the reason he doesn't want them to miss out is he says this. He says to the church in, in Corinth, since you excel in everything, you guys are growing as disciples. He says you are growing in faith. You're growing in your ability to share the gospel. You're you're growing in your knowledge of of who Jesus is as learners and disciples of Jesus. You're growing in in your earnestness and your love. No one would not say that your heart's not in the right place. Don't forget in the midst of everything exciting that is going on that being a disciple of Jesus also means growing in, in this grace. What grace does he say? He says the grace of giving, generosity, Koinonia. See, see, what Paul and Luke imply is that something can happen in us when we become followers of Jesus, when we realize the gift that God has given us, this, this undeserved love, this unmerited favor, when we realize the generosity of God, something in us responds. There's, there's an echo, there's a, a harmony from us in response. That our faith is not transactional. It's not like, ah, oh, I prayed a prayer and now I get to go to heaven free card. And I'm like, thank you, here's receipt of salvation. Please return in 30 days if you're not satisfied with your purchase. Right? That's, not as, that's not the way that our, our faith works. This is not a transactional business relationship. God's Spirit is with us. It is a relationship with God restored because of what Jesus did on the cross. And so we are restored to relationship. We can live in relationship with the Spirit of God, encouraging us, restoring us, building us, building us in faith, building us in knowledge, building us in love and building us in generosity. See, it's much more than simply I've joined this club and this is what we do. This is the way in which we come together. Instead, it's something like if the spirit of a generous, loving God is within us, if the spirit of this this God who cannot be outgiven, who gives himself to us when we could never earn it, the spirit of a God who is grace is living with us, how could we not become more loving and generous? See, I'm done. But as we take up our miracle offering today, as we reflect on the opportunity to be intentionally generous, I really just wanted to do my best to make sure that we're on the same page as to why. This isn't a fundraising drive. 
This is not an attempt to get money out of people because otherwise we can't do the things that we want to do, right? Like Paul, the resources that we gather do allow us to do beautiful things. Right, those of you who, who came to our, our information night know, and if you didn't make it but you're interested, there are some resources that I'd love to share with you about how we're accountable and responsible with your generosity. But I love the fact that for the last couple of years, our miracle offering, we've used about 70 to 80% outside of this community. Right, we're not gathering resources to, to make things better for ourselves. We're gathering resources so that when there is need, we can be ready to meet it that when something happens like the eruption in Tonga, we as a church, before we even come to you and say, hey, what can we do? We can say, hey, you've already done something. What more can we do? That when something happens like, like the horrible reality of what's happening in Ukraine and what continues to happen in Ukraine, that we can say, hey, we're doing more than just, hey, we're praying for you over there but we can send resources with our prayers. We can say we're not just praying for you in words and emotions, but, but we're putting our money where our mouth is and getting behind what you're doing. That, like I said, we can do things like put resources towards establishing a cap debt center. That we can have resources ready, which means that we can quickly respond. And I love that. I love that. But that is not the reason. Our miracle offering is not about creating a war chest to be able to respond to things. It is not a fundraising drive. It is so much more than that. This is a yearly rhythm where we intentionally practice generosity because we believe, like Paul says, that it is something that we want to intentionally see, that there is something that happens in us, something of the character of God that we reflect when we're generous, when we share, when we're in a community of fellowship, of koinonia. And it's not necessarily easy. You might have been in communities in the past in which it hasn't been done well, in which it's been manipulative and whatever else, and I'm sorry for that, but we say we describe ourselves as equippers, that the goal of living in this community is that you would be equipped for life through faith in Jesus Christ, that we would teach you what the Scripture says, even when it makes us a little bit uncomfortable, even when it's a sore spot for some people, and so we commit to these practices to talking about what we do to live our best, to, live, uh, to do our best to live out generosity. And again, no one has to. I want you to know that, that no matter what you do or do not do, God loves you and accepts you. Salvation is not something that you earn your way into. A relationship with God is not something you convince God to let you have. He comes to you as you are before you have done anything. Right? No one has to serve, no one has to live in community, no one has to rest, no one has to give, no one has to worship. You do not have to do anything to be in this community. But every single one of those things are things that we invite you to do. Because we do believe that it's actually good for us, that it is a part of following Jesus. That there are parts of us that grow only when we seek after these things. And so if we said, hey, look, talking about generosity and giving is something that people just find hard and, and you know, it's going to alienate some people and some people are going to feel like, ah, oh, it's just the church going on about money again, we would miss the opportunity to let you know that there is a grace that we can seek after here, a grace of giving, a grace of koinonia, a grace of intentional generosity. And so in a moment, the band's going to lead us in a song of worship. And, and as they do, in fact, the host can start to, to do it now. We've got some resources and simply, this is just a, a pledge card. It, it, it's got nowhere for you to put in your details. It's got nowhere for you to really do anything except say, hey, I've been thinking about it, and this is what I am intending to do. And as these get distributed, there's no pressure to do anything today. There's no pressure to do anything at all, right? You can take this. You can take it home. You can pray over it. You can put it on your fridge. You can bring it back whenever you want. You can never bring it back. But what we want to do is make sure that we're enabling you to action as much as we can. 
that we wouldn't be a people who, who stand here and say, hey, being generous is a fantastic thing to do. Let's intentionally be a generous people. Let's seek after the grace of giving and then be like, hey, but we're not gonna empower you to do that. And so we're taking the step to try and say, hey, this is something we're enabling you to do. And so today, maybe you came and, and you've been knowing you, you know the rhythm of miracle offering. You know what this is about. You've been praying into this for the last couple of months. You know what you feel God's calling you to do. And, and you want to write that down today. You can do that and give it in to, to one of our hosts or at the help desk. Maybe today you've come and you're like, hey, I, I, just, want, I just want to give today. I know exactly what I do, want to do, exactly what I want to give. You can do that. You can give through the normal ways that we give. Just put in the particulars of miracle offering. Or maybe you want to go away and think about it and bring it back in a couple of weeks. Again, you can do that as well. Whatever it it looks like for you but but what we want is let's take the chance let's take the moment to intentionally ask ourselves what does it look like to be intentionally generous maybe the first thing that you want to do today is is to simply go and to ask God to help you to grow in the grace of giving God this is something that makes me uncomfortable this is something that is scary but this is something that feels right and I want to grow in the ways that you have for me to grow what would it look like for me to grow in the grace of giving but it's our goal as a community that we would be intentional in our generosity and our koinonia, that we would pursue the grace of giving. It's like I said in the moment, the band's gonna lead us in a, a moment of worship. And I'd ask you to use that moment however you need to. Maybe you're reflecting what it looks like for you to give. Maybe you just wanna direct your attention to God. Maybe you've got an action you wanna take, whatever it is, I'm, there's no right or wrong, but we wanna create a space for it. Why don't you stand to your feet with me? Just before we enter into a moment of worship, I'd love if we could pray together that we'd go into the space intentionally. Is it all right? It's good. Why don't you bow your heads when you close your eyes? God, we thank you so much that you are a generous God. And God, in our, in our humanity, in our fragility, in our brokenness, we, we attempt to, to reflect something of that. God, we know that when we express generosity for the right reason, with the right heart, that we express something of who you are, something of your nature, and God, I pray today that we would be a church, we would be a people who intentionally go after the grace of giving. God, that we wouldn't count ourselves out, that we wouldn't say that that's for others, but, but that we would embrace what you have for us. God, once more, we, we just pray that this would not be a space in which anyone feels uh, that they have to do anything, but that we would be a people defined by the, the ability to be cheerful givers, that our giving would be an overflow of our grace that our behavior would be so closely tied to the reality of who you are and what you did that that would be inseparable. God, we pray in this moment as we reflect, as we give, that you would draw close. We pray where, where we might be feeling down in ourselves, or whatever might be coming in in this moment that, that would distract us from you, that that would be removed for a moment, that we could lean into what it is that you're saying, that we could move and step with what you were doing, we would be a generous people, whatever that looks like for us. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Check out our website at equipuschurch.com forward slash Christchurch.